0: Welcome to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. In a troubled world, riddled with endless pursuits, we have a place of peace and rest in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in worshiping Him and following Him in a life-transforming journey. Now, here's my friend Mark to introduce today's sermon.
1: Good morning. Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho welcomes you. Today, we begin a new series on our messages of Christ in our lives. This series, The Rising Glory of Grace, begins with a question. How come we live in such hard-to-swallow truths about our own sin? We each need the water of forgiveness to handle our condition of sin. When we hear about our sin, we're usually discovering we're in a tough battle, yet fight with a great hope. In Romans chapter 5, we find sin all around us ever since Adam, yet we have received a free gift of grace through Christ Jesus alone, forgiveness. In today's message, we hear what Jesus has brought us, sanctification, justification, and a union through him alone. We learn of this righteousness intended for all who believe on God's Son.
0: Pastor Paul was talking about the bread of life as we're being fed. As he was mentioning that, I remember as a child, I did not eat a lot. My parents didn't know what to do. They sent me to the Black Sea. They sent me to the mountains just so I would have a desire to eat. And I remember as my uncles and aunts would sit me down and I was forced to eat like you would feed a goose, open up wide and stuff it in. And I I would eat, but I would say, okay, a sip of water. After each mouthful, I would stop and get a sip of water just so I could swallow whatever I was being fed. Now, I feel with this text this morning, you read it and you wonder what is Paul saying? What's all this sin and gloom and darkness and judgment? And I think that we will take this with a sip of water, the sip of hope, the sip of promise, the water of forgiveness. And we call this text, as we... Paul was talking about this uh, moon eclipse that darkens things. Uh, We must look how the Lord reminds us where we have been saved from. And as we look at this text, as we take it one verse at a time... The question is, how does this bless me? What do I learn from this text? First of all, it brings humility. It reminds us, as we look at those around us, not to be judgmental, but remembering who we are ourselves, in ourselves, our sinful selves. Someone that has recently had given their life to Christ and their chains being broken, of this daily fight against habitual sin and addiction. They gave their life to Christ, and then as they kept on dealing with the battle, they said, I thought it would be much easier. Why am I still fighting against this sin? Well, without even knowing it, he actually gave the answer. Because you are alive, now you fight. Before you were alive, you didn't care. You had no strength. You had no road, no hope. But now in Christ, you fight. We're getting ready to walk with Paul from chapter 5 at this section all the way to chapter 8 in the struggle and fight against sin and more so the sin that's within us. And so now he wants to remind us and teach us that as we fight with this sin, there's hope, there's strength, but the battle is real. A good friend of mine and had just graduated the last couple of weeks uh, from law school. And we called him and I called him and congratulated him. I know that already there's a nice job waiting for him. A job that most of us would say, wow, he has arrived. And I said, so now what? He goes, well, I got three months of studying for the bar. College was hard. Law school was hard. But now here comes the hardest test. He's got to go and fight and answer over 600 questions to become an attorney. And then I said to my wife, okay, and then at his young age, he said, She goes, Really? Those kind of attorneys that get that kind of salary, they're married to their job. They wake up and they go to sleep at the office. But wait a minute, he just succeeded, he just graduated, yes, but the battle is just about to ensue. But he's got the knowledge, he's got the strength. He's got the backing. It's similar to our spiritual walk. We should not deal with depression from the perspective of being victims, for having lost. Woe is me. What will I do with this sin? In the end, says Paul. But then he gives the answer right away. Glory be to Christ. And so... As we look at chapter 5, we've traveled together, last year I believe, the last time we were in in, in Romans, from chapter, from verse 1 all the way uh, to verse 12. He presents the joy and the glory that we have been forgiven. We have been justified. When Christ, when God looks at us, he sees us just as if we've never sinned. We are set free. We're set free indeed. In these first verses from verse 1 to verse 12, he gives us this assurance of salvation be certain i grew up in a church where people did not know that they were saved if anyone would ask them are you saved and they would say either from a range of i sure hope so to oh i'm trying very hard and i want to make sure i'm not caught in the wrong spot wrong place at the wrong time when christ shows up so i'm trying real hard to be saved paul says no it's got nothing to do with what you're doing Because you are saved, you live the way you do. And he spends all this time in the first 11 verses to assure us of salvation. First of all, by showing that we're saved, we can be sure of our salvation because of God has already made peace with us through the atoning work of Christ. It's what he has done that has brought us salvation, justification. We can be assured of salvation as you go down through the verses because the Work of Christ, we've been brought in a new relationship with God. We've not been saved and set on a shelf, but now there's a relationship of love, constant communion with the Lord through the Holy Spirit in His Word. We can be assured that as we've been saved, now we can stand, not run away, not crumple. We're assured of our salvation because we have the sure and certain hope that we shall see God. Uh, He wants to build within you this new identity. You belong to God. You've got a brand new spirit living within you, both the Holy Spirit and the new man and the new woman within you in this relationship with God. We can be sure of our salvation. He continues in these first 11 verses because of the way that we are able to endure sufferings in this life. More so, we can be assured of salvation because God sent Jesus to die for you, not when you were worthy, not when you earned enough respect, but when you did not deserve it, when you were at your worst. Jesus died for us when we were enemies. We can be assured of our salvation because God has justified us, which is a much harder thing to do than having glorified us. And he is working through that daily glorification until that moment when we'll be raptured. But more so than the glorification, you've been justified without sin in his eyes. The whole text, this whole chapter, the objective is to ensure our, to encourage or to enhance our assurance. Believe and live your life with that hope and strength and certainty. Now, Though God has saved us to the atoning work of Christ and we are justified, there's so much more going on through Scripture of what it means to have been saved and living this life in Christ. In addition to justification... For us to understand, remember when Jesus kept repeating in John 15, abide in me as I abide in my father. You got to abide in me and my words, and we will make our abode with Thee within you. Something we don't understand and we mistreat in a way for not thinking and living within it is that we misunderstand what the theologians talk about the mystical union with Christ mystical union with christ being one with him to explain that principle and that mystery that one union that changes everything the way i think the way i react the way i live living for him living in him being dead and yet alive crucified and yet risen in christ that somehow goes over our heads To try to explain what that looks like, Paul begins to unpack something that we do understand, what it means to be a sinner. Because we have been born being one with the sinful nature of Adam. Taking it down to that lower perspective, reminding us where we've been, where we came from. What we've been saved from, and what it means to be in that sinful nature, not knowing good, not desiring good. He wants us to understand the inner workings of the marrow of living within that sin. And not only does he say, listen, you've been risen. Now you're alive in Christ. If you are united and one within that sin, how much more? By the way, you've noticed that phrase repeated twice in our text. Much more, much more. He is the God of much more. How much more now that you are in Christ? This passage deals with the two focal points of history. We talk about Adam and Christ, both being leaders and the heads of humanity, one of death and one of life. It presents and shows us how sin and death entered the world And then how Jesus counteracted the sin and death and how he brought salvation. It's not an easy topic, not an easy text. Many shy away from it because as you read it, your eyes begin to glaze over. All you see is sin and death and all all is lost. But let's take our time. Take a sip of water in between verses. And to see the glorious rise of grace. For if I understand how worthless I really am, I will be saved from that temptation that Lucifer had. I will rise above God. And he told Eve, oh, you will be like gods. And then she told Adam, and then they looked, and the tree was pleasant, and it was good food, and made you wise. And we, understanding the danger and the shadow of that sin... It will change the way you live. It will bring within your life such gratitude for God's love when we did not deserve it. Such humility in the way that we present ourselves to the Father in the way that we see each other, understanding that we all fight the same enemy, and that is the flesh, the sin, ourselves. So, this morning... We'll take our time and we'll touch upon one of these first principles in verse 12, 13, and 14. We'll call this the tragedy of death. And more so, we can actually call it the reign of death. We see this term repeated several times throughout the text. and, And the idea of reigning implies everything that comes with it. In charge, in control, from left to the right, all the barriers, sin is reigning in this world. And you are subject to it. You were, not are. For even within this tragedy, there's hope. At the end of verse 14, oh, I wish we'd get to it today, but I don't think so. But this hope is this. Even though all of these things, sin came into the world and death spread to all because all sinned and death reigned from Adam to Moses. Listen, listen. At the end, here's the hope. This Adam, by the way, he says, was a type. Even within that fallenness, this Adam was a type, a mirror, an echo of something that's about to come, of the one who was about to come, of the one that would bring redemption, salvation, and freedom. So, tragedy of sin. It's not the idea of woe is me. Is recognizing that from the time we were two years old, i didn't do it the cat did it oh no it's mine give it back to me oh i hate you from the time that we could speak and before we could even speak that sin was ever present that's why paul says who can deliver me from this body of sin because sin is like cancer Until now, until verse 12, Paul has been dealing with the work of God in our lives through Jesus. Telling you, listen, you belong to him, but I got to remind you what you were made of. Therefore, you'll understand that God will never leave you or forsake you because he did not when you were there, but now you're here. All the joy and all the hope and justification and the relationship and the peace and the reconciliation and the strength to stand in the midst of struggle. Remember what God has done. But now I got to teach you, he says, remember who you used to be. So you would know, be aware, be awakened that you would not go back. We've been given a glimpse in the first few verses of chapter 5 of the glory of being in and abiding in Jesus. And, and as we go in this darkness of sin, I, I want to I rile up within you the desire and the prayer, Lord, I want to fall in love with you more than ever. I want to understand what it means to abide in you. Now, there's a translation, and even in the Romanian Bible, which I don't think is as accurate, where it says, remain in me. That gives the implication that you have the ability of not remaining in Him. That it's up to you to stand within. No, no, Jesus says, abide. The idea of being back to the idea of the mystical union. That's where His thoughts become our thoughts. We kind of hang on to that Old Testament verse that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. But if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, But now you have the Holy Spirit living within you, and he discerns all that God is thinking, and he knows what you're thinking. And there's this union, and therefore life is different. No longer a life of defeat to sin, but a life of strength, because the time that you abide in him, you become like him. Now, in chapter 12, Paul goes back to remind and teach where we're coming from in order to understand and remember what we are fighting with. Verse 12, and this teaches us about the origin of sin. We'll talk about the origin of sin, the outcome of sin. We'll talk about the reigning of sin and the overcomer over sin. To understand your enemy, you got to know where he came from. Because if you know where it came from and how it acts, you know what to expect and you can recognize it when it is attacking you more so because it is within you. Many doctrines and churches, some many people, don't believe that we still have sin within us and what it means to have this old nature, sinful nature. Verse 12, therefore, everything I've said so far, Paul says, the justification in Christ, a new relationship with God, a hope and strength to go through all the trials. Therefore, all of these things, remember, just as sin came into the world through one man. It's not so much as what we have done to be sinful, he tells us. It is what we are by nature. And if you truly believe that, how dare we lift our heads and make statements and claims and have authority in dealing with other people if you know that by nature you're sinful. Paul already mentioned it. It's not what you've done. It's not the sins, but it's the sin nature. After we have experienced the forgiveness of sins and after we've been assured of the many blessings that come, many would be perplexed To think that they still have this bitter root of sin within them. That's why we want to win all our arguments. We're right, you're wrong. And I'm going to convince you that you're wrong and I'm right. It's still that sin that wants to lift itself above all others. James describes how the sin works. Turn with me to James chapter 1 verse 13. He kind of gives us the stages of the progression or the sinking into the depths of this mentality of sin. That way we can understand what was going on through Eve's mind and Adam's mind as they chose to sin. Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God tempts no one. God did not put the tree in the garden just so Adam and Eve would disobey. God tempts no one. James makes makes it clear. For God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. But each one. I love it. How he breaks it down to me. Each one, maybe you, right? Each one, when you're tempted, when you're carried away, the battle begins in the mind. You begin to envision, imagine, and desire, and you begin to spend time, by the way, if you want to defeat that sin, that temptation, the moment it hits your mind, change the thought. Pray, commit, recite, meditate on Scripture, because if you lose it here, it's done, it's like a, a slippery slide. Put on, put in, the, put on the first step. You're gone. Each one, when he's tempted, when he's scared away, and he is enticed by his own lust. Not somebody else's. Your own lust. Within you, there's that sin. And you're attracted. You desire it. And when lust has conceived, there's a time where it's churning and drawing and imagining and desiring. There's a time of uh, germination of that sin within your mind. When that is over... It gives birth to sin, and guess what? At that point, you lost control. At that point, you no longer have a a, a decision-making power of how far that sin will take you. It'll take you and destroy you as it pleases. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death, spiritual and physical, relationship, mental, you name it. Now, even so, if we read these verses, People have thought that we can get away from sin. How many have gone to monasteries? How many monasteries are out there? How many nuns? How many priests to run away from temptation and all the egregious things that we can't even mention, like Paul puts it sometimes, that happen in the monasteries, in the priesthood, among the nuns, because sin is sin. And they try to say, I will separate myself, and therefore I will not sin. But then James says, it is your own lust." Not somebody else's, but to no avail as far as they want to run. Because sin is universal. There are no exclusions. We all have inherited Adam's fallen nature. Adam received by one simple command: Sin entered into the world and death through sin. Genesis 2, 17. Genesis 2:17. God tells had told Adam, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree, you shall not eat. Don't ask me why. You won't understand if I tell you, obey me. In other words, trust me. You love me, you will trust me, and you'll obey me. Love, trust, obedience. When this here is gone, there's something wrong with the trust. When there's something wrong with the trust, it's because love is weakened. Do not eat it, for in the day that you'll eat it, I tell you now, God says, you will surely die. Didn't need to explain to him the levels of the death, but promised him, if you eat from it, you're going to die.
1: We've been forgiven by an awesome God with a gracious mercy of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. We are redeemed and given a life's direction of work and purpose to be fulfilled as we follow Jesus with a new hope. Let's pray. Lord, Father, God, the most amazing thing about the new good news is how much you love us, saved us, given us new purpose. We didn't deserve any of your grace and mercy. We still don't. Yet by your son, Jesus, we are his and yours. Join us next week as we continue in this series, The Rising Glory of Grace, and learn of a new hope, a new life in Christ.
0: Thank you for listening to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. For more information about our church, visit us online at trinityefcboise.org or by phone 208-322-8801. Our church is located at 1777 North Allenbaugh Street in Boise. We'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at 11 a.m. Join us next week at this time as we go through and apply God's Word on Scriptures for Life.